you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this next episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by none other than Austin Bollinger. Welcome to the show, Austin. Hey, thanks for having me. Excellent. Right, guys, I'm excited. We're going to talk management as usual, and Austin have a lot of good stuff to share with us all. So, Austin, why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself before we kick off? Yeah, absolutely. So, currently, I am the Vice President of Strategic Development at a video production and digital marketing company. I actually just started here at this company uh, about three months ago. Prior to this, I worked seven years in a uh, website and software production company where I started off as an entry-level project manager. And over those seven years, I climbed to the uh, position of COO. So I was, uh, my, my goal at the time was to take over the company and be CEO someday. That is uh, what I was aiming to do. Uh, unfortunately, the owner of that company decided to sell and things didn't work out. But I learned a lot along the, the path that I was on. I learned so much about servant leadership, managing, working with teams, uh, focusing on corporate and company goals, as well as, you know, I found a love for helping all of my team members discover their own personal growth journeys and what their goals were. And so I loved being a coach and a mentor to all my team. And so that's, that's kind of where my heart's at. I started a blog a few years ago called Daily New Year's. The whole premise of that blog is what if every day was New Year's? Um, so, so many people postpone self-improvement. They postpone their lives kind of citing, well, I'll work on that. That'll be my resolution next year. And so my whole thing is why wait? Start tomorrow. Start that thing that you've been putting off. So those are just a few things about me. Excellent. Love it. Love it. I'm curious. So one of the biggest challenges that I see in the probably the entire business world, like 80, 90% of businesses is lack of ability to develop leaders. Now, how, how did you learn? Like you said, you learned a lot of good stuff around servant leadership. How did you learn that? Like was there an actual sort of company strategy on how to develop leaders and leadership skills or how, how have you sort of learned that in the businesses you're in? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a I'm a personal development junkie. So I've always been reading books. I love, um, you know, just any kind of books on personal development, leadership. I really liked Patrick Lencioni's work. Uh, he has a lot of great leadership books. Um, but what I found is the more empowered that I could make my team members, the less that they needed me, the better off they became. And I think for for so many leaders out there, they justify their own existence. And, th and this is something we all struggle with, right? Because we want to feel needed. Uh, but you can't, in my opinion, justify your, your position in a company by being so needed that no one else can accomplish anything without your help. My goal was always to be as needed as little as often. I wanted to empower, to train, uh, to show everybody how to stand on their own two feet and uh, really, I was there to be a support network. You know, if, if you need my help, I'm here for you. But at the end of the day, I want to give you the tools, resources, the confidence, the belief in yourself that you can do it. And, you know, 
Uh, I think everybody wants to be a leader. They may just not know how. They may not have the confidence to do it. And so I just always love instilling those values and those beliefs in, in my people. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally, totally agree, right? I think uh, that the number one trick people are missing, and this is actually worse in the corporate world, but every time people get promoted to a management position, they're trying to protect what they do. They don't want anyone knowing everything they do because they right. think they'll lose their job. But it's actually the complete opposite. The second someone knows everything you do, you're the easiest person to promote because your department aren't going to fall apart when you get promoted. Right. And that was like, Absolutely. I, worked in, I, I worked in IBM for five, six years and I ended up doing probably seven different jobs. Right. And it was simply because, you know, I, I, I had the capacity and ability to actually develop people who could do what, who could do the job very quickly. Right. So I, I totally, uh, totally right. love your way of thinking. But I, I think fundamentally, both for business owners and managers, right, it is, it is dangerous. And I, I, like what I see with a lot of the clients that I coach is that it's exactly that. It feels good. Every time people ask you a question and you answer. Oh, it feels so good feels to be needed. Good <laughs> at that point Absolutely. in time. But it is yeah. so, so ineffective. And one of, one, of, one of my big management tricks is actually called never answer a question. So uh, I, I actually have this specific trick where I say, like, because for most business owners, when, when I go through it, and I, I, I usually ask them on a call, I tell them, open your Skype, open your Slack, open whatever you communicate with your staff with, and show me how many blinking conversations you have with people asking questions. And the mm -hmm. fundamental is that every single time people ask a question and you answer, you mentally build a process in their head saying, when this question come up, ask boss man, right? Um, right? And the fundamental is every time that happens, people don't think enough. They don't start thoughting right. out what is it I should be doing here. And the only right way from a management standpoint to answer a question is really to answer it with a question back, which is... I, 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 I yeah. do the exact same thing. I love it. Right. So it's basically, there's two potential questions. One that I ask, like asking first is, what do you think the options are? Right. So if you're talking mm -hmm. with someone and, you know, they're like, oh, should I do A or B? Then, then you have the options and you say, what do you think? Right. But the, the whole thing right. is want to build the process of making them think. And the thing is, if people come and do that with the same question to you five times and they always pick a like, it's not a right or wrong answer, but they always pick an answer that makes sense. Then it's so much easier to tell them like, dude, you get this right every time. Why are you even asking me? Right. That's yeah. I totally agree. No, with that. Yeah. I, that was always one of my favorite things to do at uh, Element 74, the software development company I worked at. Because in software and with websites, there's a thousand ways to solve every problem, it, so it seems. And so I was a project manager for a long time. I was a technical lead, but I wasn't a, a coder. I wasn't a developer. And so mm -hmm. constantly people who way smarter than me are coming and asking me, what should we do? And I'm like, well, what are my options? What are our options? They'd give me two or three options. I'm like, all right, well, as a developer, what do you think the best option is? Well, you know, if budget's not a concern, this is clearly the best way to develop this. But if budget's a concern, we could probably shave off some time by doing it this way. Okay, 
well, which, which way do you think is going to be best? Well, I really think we shouldn't cut corners. We should do it this way. And, yeah. and they always have the right answer. They just are, are afraid to make that, that decision on their own, whether it's I'm worried I'm going to get in trouble or I'm worried that, you know, the responsibility is going to fall to me if I make the wrong call. But it's instilling, like you said, that, that decision-making process, teaching them to think, and then also giving them the confidence that, hey, make the call. And if things go a little sideways, I've got your back, you know? Yeah. So just building that trust and that confidence in your team is so important. Definitely. And, and I think what, one of the things that I actually see being the biggest hindrance, I mean, like yourself, I'm a total development junkie. I basically read a, big, a book a week for about 12 years, right? And they were all sort of management, personal development related. And that, that was most of my learning, but that was why I was so curious how you develop because... I think the only leaders that I've consistently been hiring in my career that have been really good is people who have worked with McDonald's. For some reason, they have a very good leadership development system, but pretty much no really? one else have hired. I think they actually have a, I don't know, like an award or something for having the best in the world. But I've hired multiple people that used to work at McDonald's who actually have really good leadership skills. So funny enough. That's incredible. Some, yeah. They get something I right. know Chick... Yeah, I know Chick-fil-A and Starbucks invests a lot in their leaders too, especially people who are, you know, wanting to stay within the organization long term. So yeah, it's it's cool when corporations invest back into their people instead of just paying them their wages and, and not investing in them long term. Well, I, th I think it actually shows you exactly what it does, right? Because that's big, very successful companies, right? Right. I, I think for, for me, it's the biggest trick in the book people are missing. Like it, they will take the best people, promote them into management and literally just expect them to know what to do. And yes, there are some people like ourselves that are development junkies and, and figure it all out by themselves. But, but, but really, I mean, I've, I've built a 130 man uh, outsourcing business, right? And I've developed all the leaders from the ground up. Like most of the managers have been like 18, 19 when they joined me. And, you know, I've developed them over a few years and so on. And it's a great way to do it. But the, the challenge is if you, if you don't actually invest in those people, if you don't develop them and just promote them into, it's so easy to sit down and say, oh, my people suck. Right, it's the easiest thing in the world to do, but honestly, every time you have people that suck, it's a management issue. You either hire the wrong people, right. or you haven't developed them well, right? And, right, and it's it's one of those two. It's not people suck. That is never the answer, yeah. right? Well, it comes back to responsibility. I mean, as leaders, as managers, we have to take responsibility. So, if the attitude is my people suck, then it's really I did something wrong. I've got to fix this. And, you know, like you said, it's either you hired the wrong person and now, and now you have that person, what are you going to do? Are you going to develop them or let them suffer and, and fail? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all the responsibility of the leader. It's, it's why we're leaders. You know, we've got to own these decisions that we're making and, and the influence and, uh, you know, that we have on other people's lives. The other thing I really loved what you said, uh, and, and probably for me, the best way to effectively learn leadership is lead teams where you don't know what they're doing. Like one of the actually biggest problems that business owners have is that they are, because they often start from scratch, they're often the experts. 
And that actually makes the world of management more difficult for them. Because when you're right. the expert, you're more likely to jump in. You're more likely to let me do it, or you're more likely to answer the questions, right? But I actually right. think the best management development is puts people into a field that they're not actually familiar with. Yeah, and that, it's so funny that you say that. I, I completely agree. Because if you're the expert, you're going to try to train everybody to do it exactly the way that you did it. So you're not teaching people how to lead. You're teaching people how to do it the way you did it. But when I started at Element 74, I had no software development experience at all. Uh, but I was made a project to lead these people to build the right software, the right features at the right time. And I had no idea anything about software, but I was working with people and I learned a lot through that process. So, I, you know, I never really realized that until now. So that's so funny you say that. But it's, I mean, definitely for myself, some of the biggest learnings have come when I've moved into new job roles where I haven't known what I've been doing. Like I haven't been the expert, right? Because I was, my, my personal biggest challenge for many years was delegation. And it was, I mean, it's both because of my personality, but, but the second thing was I, I was, I was always the expert. And I was, again, I'm, when you're a personal development junkie like me, you're not just good, you're, you're significantly better than, than most other people. But the problem is that actually hampers your team growth. Because the thing is, every time you answer the questions, every time you're doing things, what happens is you keep growing because you're dealing with the most difficult problems, but the people below you aren't actually growing in the same speed. Right. So actually what that does, the, the number one thing that does is actually hamper development of your staff. Right. So in most cases, when staff don't develop, it's actually because they're just sitting under competent leaders who know their area of expertise too much and haven't learned to delegate and let go. Right. right. And, that, and that ultimately, you know, to use your term, hampers the overall growth of the company. Uh, because while you're too busy telling your team what they need to be doing or trying to train them to do it the way you've always done it, uh, or you're jumping in to help them where they really don't need help, then you're not focused on big picture stuff. You're not moving the, the company forward into new unknown territory. You're not growing. And so it really, it, it hampers everything. Excellent. Awesome. Now you're big on focus. So what's the one thing that you're focusing on in your role right now? That's interesting. So um, at work at Creative Edge, where I'm the VP of strategic development, my focus is going pretty much 100% into a new, uh, new website for the company. So as I said, I worked the last seven years at a website company. I came into this new company where we do video production and digital marketing and our website does not effectively market or promote our company. And so I've got a team of marketers and business developers. And so we're rebuilding this sucker from the ground up to better represent our company. That way we can support our overall business development initiatives for the rest of the year. So most of my energy is going into that. Um, it was supposed to be, um, you know, getting into new, new markets, strategic growth and other areas, but then COVID happened, right? So I've, I kind of doubled down and put my focus on the website because we're all working remote and that's something that's a little easier to tackle. For, for my side business, so I'm, you know, I've got my blog, I've got a podcast myself. I wrote a book last year. So last year I spent the whole year writing my book. That was my one thing. Uh, this year I'm building an online course. So I'm trying to help people master goal setting, 
focus, prioritization, uh, planning their lives, their dreams. And so I've kind of got two, two things going on. I've got my job where I'm a leader. I have teams that report to me and that I try to, to you know, help develop and grow. And then I've got the side hustle that, that I'm working on. So you said, what's your one thing? And so if, if, you, if people haven't read it, it's a book called The One Thing by uh, Gary, uh, Jay Papasan and Gary Keller. That book changed my life because I think no matter what you do, whether it's your personal life, your career, you're running a company, we all tend to chase way too many rabbits and we don't catch anything. <laughs> And we wonder why stuff's not getting done. We wonder why the business isn't moving forward. And so that book helped me learn the vital importance of focus and clarity. What's the one thing that you can do that will make everything else easier or no longer necessary? And I challenge business leaders to ask that question. What's the one thing in your business that you can do that will make everything else easier or no longer necessary? When you start applying that to your business, it's crazy how much things can grow as business owners, business leaders, we're all kind of addicted to busyness. And really, if you just focus on one, depending on how big your company is, maybe two or three things, it, it may feel like, you know, okay, we're spending a lot of time on this one thing. And we haven't seen it done yet, but when you get that done, then you can move on to the next one thing. And the amount of stuff that you can get done and actually see it start to, you know, return on your investment is incredible. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I would say there should always generally be one thing, right? I, I, for me, it doesn't matter the size of your company. Now, if you feel you have more than one thing that should be worked on, I believe you should find someone else and delegate that too, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, you obviously do a bunch of things, right? There's no doubt about that. But the whole thing is you have to have one focus area. Right, like, and I actually right. picked it up many, 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 many years ago. Uh, I love the one thing as well, but but I picked it up from Drucker around where he talks a lot about priorities and you know making sure that you know if your priorities says if you say sales is your priority, but you look in your calendar and eighty percent of your time goes to operations, sales is not your priority, right? And that was basically right. how I learned it, sort of saying you know if I'm saying that sales is the one thing. And I didn't look in my calendar and sales is 10, 20% of what I do, then I'm lying to myself, right? Right. And that was kind of how I learned it. Uh, but I think I, I love the concept of the one thing because it's really about taking a big thing that would make a difference. Like if I get my sales process sorted, if I get my lead gen process sorted, if I get my delivery process, like what's, what's the one thing, what's the one area that you can go and really focus on sorting out that will make everything so much easier. And, and the problem is in most businesses, you're always trying to do a little bit everywhere all the time. Right. But it never really sorts it out. And when, when I'm working with clients, like a lot of the time, again, a lot of business owners really struggle with delegation. And that's one of the things that I often help them work out. And when you get that worked out, like the amount of people who have gone from needing to spend 50, 60, 70 hours a week in the business to literally spending five, 10 hours in the business and the rest of it, they can actually do the other stuff. When you get that one thing sorted out, it just makes all the difference, right? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, but yeah, I, I definitely, the one thing is, is a great focus one. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, again, addicted to, to development and definitely Peter Drucker, the effective executive is 
it's probably the most concise work you've written. So you've written a lot of good stuff, but it, some of it can be a little bit dry. Like I, I have a few books of his that are probably five, 600 pages and most people oh. don't get excited when they read them, but uh, the effective executive <laughs> is, is probably, it's probably the most condensed version with a lot of different topics in it. I'll have to check that out for sure. But, you know, Brendan Bouchard also says the th same thing. Show me your calendar and I'll show you what's important to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and not everybody lives their life with, with a digital calendar. I certainly do. Uh, you know, I'm constantly in my digital calendar planning and, uh, and you can look at that and see what's important to me for sure. But that's an issue as well. Like, so one of the biggest issues I see, and again, this is a drucker thing, is if you don't schedule things in, you're not doing your priorities, you're doing what come up. Right? Exactly, right. So if you want to be effective, as you, like, so basically the way I operate is that I, I basically look at, I have three to four hours a day where I'm going to be really productive and focused, mm -hmm. right? Not eight hours, not 10 hours. Like I see some people literally scheduling every minute in their calendar. It will never work. But what I do is I have three slots a day. They're either one hour or one and a half. And they're scheduled in around everything else. I do meetings and stuff. But I generally have three, three slots every day. And basically, those are slots based on specific actions that I need to do. So basically, every Sunday, I sit down and I plan for the coming week for the five days the following week, what's the three slots every day and how long mm -hmm. are they? So for example, right, right now in my business uh, with the coaching, uh, we for the last couple of months due to COVID, we have been working on developing new courses, right? Because that's been easy to do. I'm sitting at home, I'm not, I can't go anywhere, I can't network very much and so on. So, so basically the focus have been building courses. So every day I have sort of three slots in my calendar, either building courses, recording courses, or thinking of concepts. But everything is planned out, right? Because that means I have plenty of time around it to do other meetings, to you know catch up on all the other stuff, but it means mm -hmm. the stuff that's scheduled is my priority, and that's the stuff that I make happen. Right. No, I, I follow the same philosophy. I have you know, a big three objective that I have for the week. And then I've got my big three objectives for each day and I practice time blocking as well. So I try to, okay, if I got only three things done today, what are those three things going to be? And when am I going to do those? And then, as you said, you've got to maintain your email. You've got to have meetings with, with your colleagues. You've got phone calls, all these other things. And so what I like to do is try to block out time to, to manage those tasks, especially, we all have, like you said, those three to four hours a day, we're at, we're at our best. And so I want to save that time for my biggest problems or my biggest tasks. And then when I'm a little bit more mentally drained, that's when I'm going to focus on, you know, cleaning out my inbox, shooting for inbox zero or whatever else may come up. But you definitely want to save your, your best, uh, your mental energy for the biggest and most important things in your day. That's, and that's a key thing. The problem is when you're scheduled all day, you're automatically much easier distracted by notifications and things like that, like email and, like, oh, did this person? And that, now, the second thing that really changed the life for me, pro probably the biggest life changer, was the book called Getting Things Done by David Allen. And I, I was an addict to one. keep it. I was keeping everything in my head. And what happened is I would sit and do something, and suddenly I'm like, oh, I forgot to do this thing. I'll go do it. 
and I, I was keeping so much shit in my head that kept popping up all the time and mm. I, I'd totally get distracted. Uh, learning to write stuff down is so important. And uh, re- re- oh, so yeah. I, use a, I use a project management tool called Trello where I literally just dump in everything because what that allows me to do is in, when I plan my week every week, it allows me to actually go through and see other things here that I need to schedule in. And because there's often a lot of things that you, oh yeah, I have to do this thing. But you know, there's a million things like that in the business we can do. But is but when I review it every Sunday, I'm basically like, is it worth enough to actually put it on my calendar? And you know, if you have lists of things, like I don't necessarily remove those lists. Like some, some things will stay on the list for a very long time saying, you know, I don't know, I should do a customer service survey in my business. But, but if it's not the priority right now, it will remain on my list. And basically, when I look through it on Sundays, I basically look at, is there any of these things that are valuable enough to delegate to other people? Or will I just keep it at the bottom of my list, right? Right. And then, or, or is it something I'll do myself, right? But that's basically the options. And again, you know, as I look in the company, like really using this focus and using the, 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 yeah, really the focus area of the business and my staff to sort of see, you know, who, who makes sense to own what stuff and what stuff do I really need to do myself. Mm-hmm. But I, I found that in the beginning, I used to do these checklists or I, I used to just do these lists. I would literally open like a notepad on the computer. I would just write down stuff and I would have these massive documents and I would never review them, right? But I found the benefit, <laughs> the benefit with putting them into a product management tool is it's so easy to move things up and down. And I right. always, every time on a, on a Sunday when I plan, I always move them around. So it's the most important things on the top, right? Because yeah. that way, when I have time and start working on stuff, I do the most important things first. And not urgent, right. but important things first. Yeah, the difference between urgent and important are two very different things. Uh, the Eisenhower matrix is a good tool for sorting out the difference between urgent and important. But I too am a fan of Trello. I also use uh, Michael Hyatt's full focus planner. That's kind of what guides me through my goal setting. Cause it, when you just look at an arbitrary list of things to do, you can become a, almost a slave to your to-do list, right? So you want to try to get that to-do list knocked out. And so you start with the easiest things first so you can try to knock out a high quantity of items, but that's not necessarily working on the most important or right things at the right time. And so if you just constantly make lists and work on the easy stuff, then chances are you're not moving the needle in a big way in your organization or in your personal life. So sometimes we've got to down prioritize those easy tasks and say, you know what, when I get some time, one of these days I'll work on that. But right now, the most important thing is this big task. It's going to take three weeks to get it done, but that's what I've got to work on. So when you just have an unorganized and unsorted list, I think we all, by our nature, just shoot for that easy stuff constantly. And, and that's not necessarily the right way to go about it. I, I totally agree. So the, the way I operate my list is, is probably slightly different. I, I love Eisenhower's metric as well, um, with, with sort of important, urgent, and so on. The, the, the one thing that I miss out is that very often my focus is to delegate. And I also, so things that are urgent and important, 
I also want to delegate, right? So Eisenhower is very keen on, you know, whatever is urgent and important you do yourself. That's but true. Really, I want to delegate that too. And one of the things that I like having these long to-do lists is really what happens over time is that most things become delegatable. So I'm actually keeping the list, and sometimes it's more ideas, but I'm actually keeping the list more as a, is it at a point where I can delegate it right now? Like, obviously, if things take 30 seconds to do, sometimes it just makes sense to do it because actually looking at an item at any kind of list, if it takes 30 seconds, do it, right? And and mm-hmm. you're right. Sometimes I'll sit down, I'll take I'll take an hour, and I'll just go through a bunch of things, right? But but really, that's why my, my scheduling slots fit in, right? Because I know that my priorities go into those slots, and the other time I have around, really, majority of my time is focused on delegation, right? Like... Basically, I, I, I have a huge list right now of things to delegate, right? And when I actually have the time, I spend the time not necessarily doing even the easy task, but delegating them, right? And I, I, I love using video. Like I, I, my, I run a remote business, right? So I've, I've done that for five, six years. So when I delegate stuff, I love doing small quick videos just explaining the concept and say hey you know we have to do this customer satisfaction survey you know you're you're an amazing human being i know you'll be great at this thing you know here's the objective and so on so i I sit down shoot a video sometimes it's a minute sometimes it's five minutes but it's basically enough for me to give people enough information to let them go figure out what to do right it's so much more effective than written instructions or an email uh, I love using Loom for that. So you could just fire same, up same. Loom and, you know, here, here's what I need. Here's what we're working on. Here's the context of this problem. Uh, you know, two minutes and, and there, there's so much more clarity than the longest email you could probably type. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the big problems for many business owners, right, um, particularly in the online world, is they've always been told, like, you know, figure out what to do, build a process, and get someone to do that process. And what effectively happens is to keep handing over uh, the task instead of actually giving people responsibilities, right? But right. The, one, the one thing that, that works really well with this is I don't really document processes. I'm very rarely document processes. What I do instead is I will show someone how to do it on a video and then I'll ask them to document it. Because the amount of time that it takes to document the process, like right. sometimes if you have processes with a ton of decision points, yes, video can be a little bit difficult, right? Like if you're, if you're like every five minutes, you're like, at this point, you have these 17 options and you need to pick this one of this, this one is this. Like video can be a little bit difficult or cumbersome, right? But, but most right. processes, doing them in a video is very quick. But then what I always tell people is do it for a period of time, do it a number of times. And when you feel comfortable with the task, then document it. Don't document it before you, when you've just watched the video, document it when you've actually done the task and feel comfortable with it. Right. Yeah. Because that way you basically, and like I'm very keen on making sure that it's the lowest person, not the lowest person. It's a person executing the job who document the task. Because for me, fundamentally, a process should be owned by the person doing the work. In most businesses, processes are never updated because it's the manager or it's the 
above the manager who's responsible for the process. And no manager has the time to sit and keep 300 processes up to date all the time, right? But the way, right. the way I always operate is I make, like if you have a customer service team of 10 people, you pick one person and make that person responsible to always make sure the customer service process is updated. Now, if they do update it, they, they verify the updates with the manager, but that's very different than making the manager responsible for updating it, right? Right. And for, for every process we have in the business, we literally have a spreadsheet who the owner is and when it was last updated. So that means we also have one person who actually goes through and makes sure every process is updated at least every three months, right? Right, so absolutely. That's, that's for, for a lot of business owners, changing that mindset and particularly with video, like just handing over task with video is so much better because it, it makes it more likely that you actually hand over responsibility. Because it's easier with a video to say, yeah, you know, I want something like this in this direction. But again, always focus on what's the outcome you're looking for, right? Because right. every time you delegate responsibility, you need to have a clear outcome. So, Absolutely. Right. That's good. That's good. We talked a lot about goal setting. How do you set the most effective goals? How do you set the most effective goals? So I think effective goals should have... Um, a significant impact on whatever it is that you're trying to do. I think so many people set arbitrary goals or goals that sound good in theory, but they pay little mind to how those goals are going to play into their future. So, you know, I think for a lot of leaders, honestly, for a lot of people that I've worked for, you know, you start the year with your annual goals and then three or four months in all those goals have completely changed. Um, it, it, because it's, you know, you're sitting they're forgotten. <laughs> they're, they're, forgotten. For, they're forgotten or things happen and it's like, you know what, there's this new opportunity. We should go after that. It's so much easier. And so for me, setting goals is, you know, you need to be focused on goals that are going to have a very significant impact on your future, your company's future. Uh, this applies to people even at the most personal level. Uh, if you're not passionate or excited about the goals you're setting and you can't see how they're going to benefit your future, then there's going to be so much more difficult to stick with those. So when you set highly focused and highly significant goals, when other things pop up, it's so much easier to say, you know what, that's a great thing. We should definitely be doing that. Put that on the list for later. We're staying on this goal that we're, we're pursuing. It kind of goes back to that one thing, Right. If, if you pick the one thing that's going to make everything else easier or no longer necessary, why would you let anything distract from that? And so for me, it's goal setting just all comes back to significance and impact. What's it going to do? And it forces you to think about your future. You know, a lot of people can think a week, two weeks, a month ahead. But when you start thinking a year to three years to five years ahead, you have to be very confident that you're working on the right thing because if you're not, you could be heading down the wrong path. And most people don't want to think that far ahead, but it's when you start thinking that far ahead and setting goals that you can say you're very confident, Hey, this is going to move the needle. We may not see the, the investment or the return on the investment for a year, but it's going to be there in three years. I guarantee you that takes a lot of confidence and a lot of forethought. But those are the kinds of goals that we should be setting and pursuing, in my opinion. Yeah, totally makes sense. And, and 
I, I like that, right? Like what one of the one of the big issues I see around goal setting is the fact that people set the goal right in front of them. So again, like when you're doing tasks, they set the goals on how many tasks to do. Like they're not good enough at actually moving way ahead and set right. what's the end goal. Right. So for example, if you start doing lead generation, people are like, oh, you know, we should get seven leads a week or, you, you know, they're so focused on the numbers and the quantities rather than what's the objective, right? Like what's right. the, what's the actual goal, like at the end of the line, right? So for example, yeah. if you, if you're getting new customers, don't just set a goal to get seven new customers, set a clear goal of who is the ideal clients that you're looking for. Because most, actually most businesses suffer because they're getting in more clients, but they're getting the wrong clients. And the wrong clients always take up a lot more time and effort rather than getting the right clients who fits into your process, who is easy to deal with, right? So many yeah. small businesses that they're just so busy trying to grab any client anywhere. And because they don't focus on their ideal clients, they get so many clients that they need to do so many adjustments, so many unique processes, so many unique things for, and that holds the business back significantly. Right. I, yeah, I completely agree. One of my favorite quotes is, you know, Abe Lincoln says, if you give me Eight, I think it's eight hours to cut down a tree. I'll spend the first six sharp acts. Maybe I got the numbers wrong, but most small companies don't want to spend the time figuring out who that ideal customer is. They say, Hey, we're just getting started right now. We've got to take anybody we can get to get our business going or to sustain revenue or to sustain cash flow. But then, like you said, you get so many of the customers that are the wrong customers you're working doubly hard trying to satisfy those customers. Therefore, you don't have enough time to circle back and plan who are our right customers, who is the best fit. So I would so much rather sit down and plan. Who are we going after? What are our goals? How is this goal going to contribute to the success of our future? And then commit to that and stick to that. I would so much rather do that no matter how long it takes and know that you're on the right path than to just be playing reactionary leader, you know, and just always respond, respond, and never take time to actually go back and plan. So uh, yeah, to your point, when you get too many of the wrong customers, it's, you just get into a busy, vicious cycle and you can't get off that, that hamster wheel. And, and the worst thing that happens, and I see it all the time, is that people are so busy serving these customers that don't fit them, that they actually end up losing their best customers. Absolutely. And that is detrimental. Like you, you see in most businesses, you know, there's, there's this thousand day rule. I'm not sure if you know that, but basically they say it, it generally takes three years to start a successful business. And for most businesses, one of the key reasons why it takes that long is exactly this point. They spend so much time just trying to grab anything. And like web development, you've worked in web development. I've seen so many web devs. They're like, oh yeah, we can build any websites, right? You need e-commerce, you need a, whatever you need, we can do it, right? We yep. can do anything. And, and the problem is they're expert at nothing. Right. right? The, the thing is, the day you become successful is the day you pick a niche. Like you can say, we only do e-commerce, or we only work with dentists, or we only, whatever it is, but you want to pick something that you can specialize in, where you can build process, where you can know that market. Because when you know that market really well, then you can add value, 
If you right. build your first e-commerce website, you add no value. Like it, it, the most frustrating discussions I've ever had is with web devil, right? Like when I want a website, I don't want to tell them what I need because I'm not an expert at building websites. I want a web dev to tell me what I need. I want them, I want their advice. I want them to, not, not just on what structure and what architecture, but I want them to come up and tell me what colors to use. I want them to tell me what it should look like. I want the, to, them to tell me what converts. And the problem right. is when people don't know a certain market, they don't know that, right? So the yeah. way to add value, the way to build solid processes, the way to do things cheaper. Because again, like I've, I've worked with a few clients, right, in, in this space, and I won't use the specific niche they're using, but let's just say you only as a web dev work with carpenters. If you work with carpenters over and over again, you can literally build a template website because you get to know exactly what works. And, and if you have a, a carpenter in Missouri or a carpenter in you know, New York, it's the same keywords, it's the same content that works, it's the same thing. You can literally, like you obviously don't want to duplicate the content, but you can literally have the same content brief, getting the same like overall right. content written in different ways every time. But, but it's literally the same thing you're doing. Now, if you can do that, your cost of developing those solutions go down immensely. Your customer mm -hmm. satisfaction and the impact you have with it goes up big time, right? And it's, that's how you build a business. That's how you pick core customers. And, and that's really the optimization. And most people, the reason why it takes them three years is they fumble around doing all sorts of different businesses. Suddenly they get someone and say, hey, I really like working with this customer. Maybe we should look for more of them. And that's when success happens, right? When they start having a core customer that they're getting again and again, and marketing, right? When you're, when you're hitting one segment, like it, so many times I see these web dev companies just sending out random emails to 5 million businesses saying, oh, we develop websites, right? And, and I, 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 I cannot <laughs> imagine their conversion rates to be more than one in a billion or something like that. Well, it's, I think so many people are so worried about cash flow and growth and revenue and, and just making payroll that they're after quantity, not quality. And I would so much rather build a company on a solid concrete foundation founded in quality, which comes with a niche, like you said, um, you know, Element 74, when I worked there, we didn't have a niche. We would build a website for anybody. And I don't want to speak ill to that or disparage that. But it, like you said, customer comes in, you can't speak confidently to their industry, to what they're doing. Um, you can speak confidently to the architecture, how you're going to build the website. It's going to be quality. It's going to be responsive. It's going to load fast. It's going to be, you know, all that stuff. But the moment they say, but how do I convert a lead for my industry? It's much more difficult to answer those questions. So you just, yeah, you have to get focused on the people that you're working with and really specialize to add the most value. I completely agree with you. That's very good. Anything that we haven't talked about yet that you think we really should talk about, Austin? Man, I, I don't know. I think we've had a pretty, <laughs> a pretty well-rounded conversation. We've talked about goal setting, focus, clarity, servant leadership, uh, building leaders. Uh, I, I, I really can't think of anything, to be honest with you. 
Excellent. Any last, I mean, we've already mentioned a bunch of books and so on. Any sort of favorite resources outside what we have already mentioned that you want to share with the audience? Uh, you know, like I said, the one thing is a, is a fantastic book that really changed my life. Uh, another book that really made some big changes in my life is Darren Hardy's Compound Effect. Uh, it's, the, it's the littlest stuff that we do every day that has the biggest compound interest in our lives, for better or for worse. Uh, those negative little bitty tiny bad habits can compound into some really bad stuff, but the tiny little good habits can really compound into fantastic results in our lives. It all happens so slowly over such a long period of time. It's difficult to see it at work, but it's very, very real. So, you know, the compound effect is great. The one thing is, is fantastic. Yeah. I, you know, and if you're in, if you're in leadership, Pat, Patrick Lencioni is a good guy to read in my opinion too. Yep. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Austin, if people are desperate getting hold of you, how do they get you? Yeah. So if you go to my blog, dailynewyears.com, that's kind of my hub. Currently, you can find out about my podcast, my blog posts, the book that I wrote last year. Uh, everything about me is, is located there along with social handles, uh, email, the works. Excellent. I love it. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to talk today. And I hope the audience enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And I'll see you soon. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you want to learn more about effective management, head over to mattsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.